Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we come before you, and as we open your word, Lord, we pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would give us life-giving truth. And, and not only to give us truth, Lord, but give us life inside to receive that truth, to want that truth, to, to be excited about that truth, Lord. We pray that your word and your commandments and the things that you teach, Lord, would be a delight to our hearts, that we would long more and more to do it, and that we would seek your power through your spirit to do these things. And we pray, Lord, uh, most of all, that you'll be glorified in this time, that your son will be lifted up high and, and exalted and seen for the, the great Savior that he is. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, we're in a series called uh, Love Wisely, and it's a series through Proverbs. We're doing relationships. We're kind of going around doing different topics. Last week, we talked about work, and we talked about that kind of ordinary, everyday work that we do outside the home. And I, and I know the response that you usually get from that, which is like, you know, why didn't you mention work inside the home? That's work that's important as well. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This morning, we're going to talk about work that happens in the home. We're going to talk about homemaking. Okay, like I know that's super hipster, edgy, you know, draws a huge crowd. That term, guys, does it sound to you, does it sound antiquated? Um, you know, when somebody writes down their occupation and they put homemaker, do you ever think that like that doesn't seem like a legitimate occupation? The Bible doesn't see it that way at all. I, I think in our culture, people will say, well, you know, is a home really something that needs to be made at all? You know, with all the modern conveniences and stuff we have, do we really need somebody that's a homemaker in the home? To, to develop a home and have it be all that it is. Well, it depends on what you think a home is for. If a home is just for sleeping and eating and entertaining ourselves, then you probably don't need a homemaker. You don't need somebody to make that. That's, we've got all the stuff for that. We've got Netflix. We've got Amazon Fresh. You know, we've got all the things that we need in a home. Maybe we don't need a homemaker at all. But the Bible, especially the Proverbs, teach the home is about a lot more than meeting like the minimum needs of its occupants, okay? It's about something more. Um, we'll see here in the Proverbs that a well-made home made with love and wisdom is designed to be a blessing to your family, to your neighbors, and to the world. And I want to acknowledge before I start, because this is another minefield, there's a lot of minefields in this whole thing, but another mine that you could step on is I want to acknowledge right from the beginning that, that homemaking is not every woman's calling. Not every woman is called to homemaking. Not every woman is called to homemaking right now. Maybe they were at one time. Maybe they will be in the future. Um, some women are not called to it at all at any point. Um, but many of you are. <laughs> in fact, a vast majority in our church are. We've got a young church. We've got lots of kids. There's lots of people that, women who are giving their lives to the calling of homemaking. And it's real work and it's a real occupation that we should be excited about. Our culture is not excited about it, right? Um, how many of you guys um, took in high school home economics? Raise your hand. Okay, notice something about the people raising their hands. <laughs> okay, um, it isn't done anymore. Okay, it's not something that's done now. The, the younger ones, the ones that are under 30, um, under 25, they weren't raising their hands like, oh yeah, I'm in home economics right now, right? It's something that our culture doesn't have a high value towards. But guys, we want to be a church that values and supports the calling of homemaking, right? And so if you're a woman and that's your calling right now, um, it, this is for you. If you're a woman and your calling is not that right now, you're here to support those who that is their calling. You know, a lot of times we can come to messages and go like, well, what's in this for me? 
But we're a family, right? The church is a spiritual family. We're a family together, and we're here to spur one another on in the calling that God's given us. And so if it's not your calling, your calling, then, is to support those who have this calling. And this morning, we're going to look at Proverbs 31. We're going to see that homemaking is a work of oneness. Homemaking is a work of passion. Homemaking is a work of beauty. And homemaking is a work of ministry. And then finally, homemaking is a work of glory. I know five points. It's scary. We'll be real fast. Don't worry about it. Okay, here we go. First one, homemaking is a work of oneness. And I see that in verses 10 through 12. And in the very beginning, when it talks about homemaking, it starts with talking about the marriage. Take a look at this. It says, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. The thing we notice right here from the beginning is at the center of the home, the relationship that is at the center of the home is the marriage. Now, of course, you'd say, well, the relationship to God's the center. Of course it is. But the human relationship in, in the home, the central relationship is the marriage. It's not actually the kids. Okay? I think this is somewhere that we can err, is that we can make our relationship with our children the center of our home, when it really should be the relationship with your spouse. And we'll do a, a message on parenting from the Proverbs a little bit later and see the high value of children and talk about parenting. But our kids can't be the central relationship in our family. It has to be the marriage. From a marriage, a God-glorifying marriage, flows out a family, flows out a home. And so homemaking is a work of oneness, a work of oneness between a husband and a wife. And it was designed that way from the beginning. Take a look at Genesis 2.18. When God created Adam, he said, you know, watched him and everything was good in creation. And he said that something wasn't good. He said, then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God goes, okay, this isn't good. He needs a helper. And then if you drop down a little bit later in verse 21, it says, So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed that place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had made from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, At last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. This text shows us the core purpose of marriage is marriage is to glorify God by giving companionship and mutual help. Um, the, the core purpose of marriage is companionship. We see it here. It's not good that man be alone. He'll make a helper for him. So it's about friendship. It's about service. Um, God says, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper for him. And then he does this really interesting thing because he made Adam, remember, out of the soil. He makes a man and he blows air, his, his spirit in and he becomes a live being. And God's all excited to kind of play with him and talk with him and do all these things with him. And then he goes, he needs a helper. He needs a companion. He needs a friend. And what does he do? He doesn't grab some more soil, which is interesting because he can do that. We saw that. He can do this. No problem. What does he do? He takes a rib from Adam. It says, so he takes this one person and he turns them into two persons. And then in marriage, he tells them, now go be one person again. Isn't that amazing? So the one becomes two so that the two can become one. Marriage is a process, guys, of learning how to live as one, though. I mean, you become covenantally one, financially one, all these things, right? Legally one. And then the whole life is about learning how to become one lived out, to intertwine your lives more and more with each other and have more oneness. And homemaking, it turns out, is one of the ways that a wife serves in her husband to grow that unity. This is one of her ways of doing, of growing that unity, of increasing that oneness. And the husband in Proverbs 31, you see what he does. He supports that work and he praises that work. 
We see that throughout Proverbs, and we'll see that in a little bit. And they grow closer and closer together as they're interdependent with a division of labor. And this division of labor and mutual service in marriage is actually a really cool picture of the Trinity. You know the God that made us in his image and the God created marriage is one God eternally existing as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so when God created the world, he didn't create it because he needed our friendship or our love or our service. He didn't need any of that. Each person in the Trinity had all the love and service and friendship they could possibly want with each other, within God, the three persons. And so what, why did God create this place? He created it for his glory, and he created it out of an overflow of the joy they had in each other. God did not create the creation because he had some sort of empty spot in his heart that he needed to fill. God was overflowing with joy and love between the persons of the Trinity and that relationship they've had eternally, that it like overflowed and became this creation. And in the same way, marriage is the same way. As, as two become one and as they love and serve one another, the overflow of joy from that is the home. A home is created by that. Just like the overflow of love and joy in the Trinity created this world, a home is created by the love and joy and serving one another in marriage creates a home. It's a work of oneness. Second, it's a work of passion. Okay, this Proverbs 31 woman is very energetic. Would you guys agree? Perhaps annoyingly so. Okay, she is super energetic. She has tons of passion. She is a force of nature. Okay, take a look at verse 13. It says, she works wool and flax, and she works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's still night and provides food for her household and her maidens. And he goes on and on. There's like knitting, and there's doing all these things, and there's industry, and there's exports from the home. And it's like, wow, this girl's energetic, right? Perhaps too energetic. In verse 15, it says she rises while it's still night. 18 says she doesn't let her lamp go out at night. So I don't even know when she sleeps, you know. She's like constantly going. Why is she so energetic? She's energetic because she's passionate and excited about her calling as homemaker. Really? Right? I mean, our energy level is hugely determined by how inspired we are, how excited we are for our calling, right? We can do the same work every day with a totally different heart. We can find energy we never knew we had if we're excited about our calling. And that's what Proverbs 31 is supposed to do for you, ladies. It's supposed to inspire you, okay? It's supposed to inspire you. And ladies, let's talk. I know that some of you, when you read Proverbs 31, feel condemned and discouraged. Anyone ever felt that way? Anyone ever felt that way? Okay. I realize that. I realize that a lot of people don't feel inspired when they read it. I know some of you would like to probably hunt down the Proverbs 31 woman and bust her kneecaps. You know, she's always so perfect and doing everything right, you know. Let's bust her kneecaps, right? Ladies, she is not your competition, okay? I think women tend to be competitive, right, in their own way. You read this and you're like, I hate her, right? She's not your competition. In fact, she isn't even a real person, by the way, just to take the pressure off. She is, guys, the embodiment of wisdom. Throughout the Proverbs, you see wisdom personified not as a man, but as a woman. You see lady wisdom throughout the Proverbs. And what we're seeing here is when wisdom fully takes root in a home. We're seeing what, when wisdom comes into a home, what a home can be. Okay? So this, this is not your competition. And, and if your calling right now is, is homemaking, I want you to be inspired by this passage. I don't want you to feel condemned. And if while we're going through it, you feel condemned, just realize you're not doing it right, okay? You're not using this passage right if it condemns you. It should inspire you. It should, it, you should look at it as a catalog of possibilities for your home. You should look at it as a vision for how wisdom could come into your home and bless your home, okay? You should look at it as fresh ways to derive new meaning from your calling. 
That's what it's really for. And the Holy Spirit is in you, and he will empower you to live out a new vision. But it's a process, right? It's a process. Um, Homemaking is a process. All the things in our life are a process. We're disciples. We're learning to do the things that God has for us. We're learning how to live by the power of the Spirit. And so none of us are perfect in that. The other thing to realize about Proverbs 31 is it's describing a mature, well-aged marriage. Okay, this is not, she's not a newlywed. I know that for a few reasons. I know that because of the type of unity that husband and wife have in here is something that developed over a long period of time. We'll get to it, but it's interesting. I know that because these guys have a significant amount of wealth. Okay, you can tell from some of the things that they do. You, I, I know that because her kids are probably not two because she's running a business out of her home, okay? So there's a lot of things that took a while to develop here, and so I don't want you to feel condemned by it. What I want you to see is that's what you could have over time. It's a process. It should be a desirable vision because, guys, the world downplays the value of homemaking, right? Our culture doesn't see it as valuable. I was talking about home economics, right? Home economics cover things like, you know, budgeting, nutrition, saving, investing, cultivating your family, time management, all that kind of stuff, right? Very important things. I saw recently, um, there was a community college course. It was like, not one for credit, but one of these side courses they do. It was called Adulting 101, okay? <laughs> and that's because there is not this kind of teaching, right? There's, there's no home economics, so now we need Adulting 101. You're wondering what adulting is. Adulting is doing adult things, you know, like paying bills and figuring out how to manage a home and stuff like that. And people are growing up, they don't know how to do it, so they have an adulting class. So, um, so maybe the culture is figuring out we need homemaking. If homemaking is your calling, Ice, I want you to see this as a vision, and I, and I want it to stir your passion. This woman's passionate about it because she sees the vision. My wife, um, Tasha, she is constantly reading books that have to do with parenting and marriage and homemaking, stuff like that. Why? Because the culture's not going to tell her that this is valuable. She needs to constantly be feeding that into herself. And she could recommend books, and she made that whole library thing. That's all her deal. Um, and she's got books in there about that for that very reason. Um, but look at what this woman's passion has produced for her. Uh, verse 21, it's produced confidence. It says, she is not afraid for the snow for her household, for her household are clothed in scarlet. She has confidence because she's passionately managed her home. She has confidence. Um, she has confidence in verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And I love this. And she laughs at the time to come. You know, I'm so prone to dread the time to come. This woman, because of the preparations and the passion for her home, she laughs at it. She goes, what if this happens? Ha, ha, ha. You know, like, I'm not worried about it. You know, it'll be fine. Um, her her uh, passion for her, for her homeward calling has also created a surplus. Take a look at verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. You don't expect that in 1000 BC, you know. And um, in, in verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them, and she delivers sashes to merchants. So she's so passionate and excited about her, her calling of homemaking. It's actually produced a surplus. She has this kind of cottage industry thing going on. This is not a biblical requirement. You're not biblically required that your home has exports, right? No, it's not a requirement. But it is a cool option, right? It's something cool to see. Is there a way that I could make some money on the side and do some different things, you know, out of my home, out of things that I'm already doing or adding something in? It's really cool. Her passion for her calling has also um, gained her husband's trust. We saw that in verse 11. It says, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Because she's excited and passionate and energetic about managing her home, her husband trusts in her. You know, she's never done him harm all the days of her life. And I can say to you guys, you know, without exception, 
Tasha, my wife, is not, has done me good and not harm for 20 years of marriage now. Without exception. I thought about this. I'm like, was there one time she did me harm? She has never done me harm. You know, I have such a bad memory. I probably did do her harm. I don't know what it is. She could tell me. But um, her husband trusts in her because she's excited about her calling and she's going at it with her whole strength. And I can see that trust in verse 16. This is crazy for 1000 BC. Check this out. She considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Okay. You don't expect to see this 3000 years ago. So she's buying real estate without him, okay? So this guy trusts his wife so much, and she knows her husband so well. This is why I think this is a well-seasoned marriage, that she can just go out and buy real estate. He trusts her. He trusts her. He doesn't micromanage her, right? He, he trusts her judgment. He knows that she's going to do me good, and she knows what she's doing. Isn't that awesome? Husbands, do not micromanage your wives. This drives me crazy, some guys treat their wives as if they're children, and they're constantly micromanaging them. And it's like, you married an adult, you need to treat her like an adult. Like, she is your wife, not your kid. We had a counseling thing years ago. It's nobody in this room and nobody you know. But at our house, and uh, we had this couple there, and they were talking about their grievances. And he turns to her and he goes, I, I know that you leave the car running and the AC on when you pick the kids up from school. And I'm like, it's 147 degrees here. Like, do you want a live wife and kids? Like, I just wanted to choke him. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're actually creating something here by doing this, you know? Um, but it's, it's crazy. It's micromanagement. I know a guy, not in this room, nobody you know, that um, Christian guy, he does all the grocery shopping, not because he wants to help his wife, which would be awesome, but because he does not trust her to get appropriate deals on things. And trust her. Micromanaging. Do not micromanage your wife. Now, if you guys do have constant disagreements about money and what to spend, great thing to do, get a budget, okay? And if you don't know how to do that, Tim Marmon, one of our secret deacons, will be a deacon soon in a few weeks. Um, he loves doing that with people. He'll sit down with you, and he'll, he'll help you go through and, and make a budget. A budget is not to micromanage your wife. A budget is so you both have unity on finances. And eventually, you might not even need it. You know, some, for some people, it's training wheels. They get to a place, and then they kind of have a set expectation of spending. And, but you got to go through it. I mean, it's a spreadsheet. It adds up. They're numbers. They don't lie. Like, there's not more money for books for me or for whatever for you, right? Um, you have to stop. Um, but don't micromanage her. Her home is her domain to manage. The home is her kingdom. Let her rule it, okay? You are the spiritual leader of your home. But you're not to micromanage all these details. That is her domain. You see this woman, and she takes on her domain, and she does it well. And so we should support that. Third, homemaking is a work of beauty. This might be a surprising one to you. Verse 21, she is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet, which might also be double thickness, would make a little more sense in the snow. She makes bed coverings for herself, and her clothing are fine linen and purple. Um, she clothes her family and decorates her home with an eye for beauty, not just function. Okay, how do I know that? I know that from the mention of purple. Okay, purple, purple dye was something in the ancient world that was not cheap. You made it out of little snails. I was reading about this morning. Apparently, you like boil them for days. It makes a hideous smell. And then eventually, they give up this material that you can turn into dye. Very expensive. And it only had, it had no function, really. It's purely aesthetic, Right? Purple is purely aesthetic. Their home would work fine without purple, right? But they mention here that there are, there's concern for beauty and aesthetics. And guys, sometimes we as husbands, we don't get aesthetics, right? I mean, how many pillows do you need on a bed 
I'm asking for a friend, okay? <laughs> How many pillows do you need on a bed? Another one arrived yesterday. And I'm like, oh, great. Like, is this replacing? No, no, it's adding. And I'm just thinking, where are we going? Like, I don't know what's going on here. We're breeding pillows. I don't know what's happening. But uh, last Saturday, I, we went on a tour of, um, you guys know Ryan Shock, he's in the Navy, and he's been out for a long time. They were getting a brand new ship, and they were getting it from Alabama where it was being built. Brand new, we got to take a tour, and we got to, um, it was the commissioning ceremony, super cool, lots of big wigs coming and stuff like that. And um, we went on it, and it had new ship smell and everything. It was awesome. <laughs> but you know what's crazy is even on these super high-tech, the brand new ships, super high-tech, even on these super high-tech ships, you see all the duct work and the plumbing and all the wires. Like, have you guys have been on the Midway? Is it the Midway? What's the one down there? Yeah, the Midway. Yeah, have you been on that? Same thing. Like, they don't cover up any of that. And I was saying to Tosh, I'm like, a dude totally designed this. <laughs> you know, like, no woman would design this ship this way. It's like everything's exposed. And I'm thinking, like, I'd love my house to be that way. You have a plumbing problem? It's that one. <laughs> Look, it's dripping. You know, like, I don't need anybody to help me. All the wires are there. Like, everything's great. You got leaking ducts? Put some tape on it, you know? Awesome, right? We can be like that. We can, we can be, we can think just of function instead of beauty, right? And guys, I have particular issues with this because I'm a minimalist. And a minimalist means, this is a person, I'm a person that strives to own the least possible items and only keep items that have function. It could be a form of OCD. I'm sure of that. But anyway, we minimalists love bare countertops, bare walls, and empty rooms. It speaks to us, okay? And so there's a little bit of conflict here. You know, I was out in my garage the other day, and um, we used the garage for a library to park the car. There's some exercise equipment and storage. We're probably trying to do too much. Okay, so I'm out there, and I'm thinking of what I can get rid of and what the kids won't miss if I just, you know, subtly got rid of it. And I'm doing all this stuff and cleaning it up. And Tosh comes out and she goes, I'm all sweating, kind of frustrated. And she goes, are you out here mad at our stuff again? <laughs> and I was. I was super mad at our stuff, right? Because I'm thinking utility. I'm thinking like, do we really need this stuff? When's the last time we, you know, that kind of thing, right? Men, we can be utilitarian. We can think of things just for their function if they serve a physical function. But women often think of aesthetics. And it's a good thing. They think of aesthetics. They think of things that are beautiful. God does too. Guys, if we look at creation, we see all parts of it that are aesthetic. There's no functional reason for some of the beauty that we see. It's purely aesthetic. When you look at the instructions God gave for the tabernacle, tons of detail about the ornaments. Like, this needs to look like a pomegranate. And put, a, you know, put a peacock over here. and Just all these things along the walls, all the aesthetics. It's important to God. A lot of purple, by the way, too, in there. It's something that's important to God. Aesthetics are important. God values them. We should value them too. Husbands, your wife has been called to beautify your home. Appreciate that calling to beautify your home and invest in it, okay? And that may mean buying decorations that serve no discernible purpose, okay? <laughs> Lots of them. It may mean that you, you're drilling holes and doing some painting on walls you didn't think needed to be painted, and you're installing things that you never knew you needed. Trust her, Okay? Her calling is to beautify this place. Assist her in that calling of beautifying her home. That's what we see here in this. And it may mean you're going to have to put together some Ikea furniture. You know? A friend of mine just a couple weeks ago, he was opening one of those boxes. He put his knife all the way down to his femur. Sent me a picture, not with the knife in. But that's a guy that's, you know, suffering for the calling <laughs> of helping his wife. And he should be praised for that, right? Guys, purple isn't cheap, okay? Homemaking is a work of beauty. Homemaking is also a work of ministry. Our homes are not just to meet our own needs. 
Our homes are a part of God's plan to bless our families, but also to bless our neighbors, our church, and the world. And I see three examples of ministry in this text that are really exciting. First one's in verse 20. Homemaking is a ministry to the poor. Look at verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. A well-made home will have resources and time to be generous to the poor. And it's whatever you have. I mean, you're a younger family who's struggling in these things. There's things we can do. We can make a meal. We can do simple things for the poor. Every church, guys, is called to serve the poor, and every home is like a mini church. And so, wives, does uh, does your home have a ministry to the poor? And just think about this. What kind of local or international things could, could our family get excited about? Maybe it's a, it's a jar and the kids put coins in there or something like that to remember the poor. Whatever it is, um, is there somebody on your street who needs your family and you could, you could meet those needs? Um, it's cool to see that the home is about the poor, right? Um, homemaking is a ministry to other ladies. Look at verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now, of course, she's teaching her children, but I think this goes broader than that, guys. I think this teaching, we look at Titus 2 and other passages, I think this teaching is also to other women. And this is a huge need, guys, in our valley. There is a huge need for women to encourage other women biblically. Have you guys ever been sitting in Starbucks and overheard one woman giving another woman tragic marriage advice? Tragic. Have you seen that? Have you heard that? Okay, it's just me. I'm like, hmm. No. I actually have earbuds because I'm trying to get, I'm trying to like write this message, you know, and I'm hearing this. I'm like, ah. and they don't want random hairy guy coming over and going, actually, you should be, you know, like, it's not my place. But guys, there is a huge need, huge need for women to minister to other women. And look at the ministry. With, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness. Doesn't that sound awesome? This isn't like, you know, necessarily always rebuking each other. Sometimes there's that's the need. But wisdom with the teaching of kindness. Doesn't that sound good? Homemaking and being a mom and being a wife can be hard. So many young ladies, especially, uh, so many ladies, especially young ones, need your encouragement. Just think about that. Are there young, overwhelmed moms on your street, at your kids' school, at this church, that you could consistently encourage? That could be an overflow of your home, ministry of your home. Maybe going on a walk with her. Maybe bringing her a meal, maybe having a conversation, maybe offering a little bit of child care here and there. Maybe inviting her to the women's Bible study. I mean, she's there with other women. They talk about their calling and encourage one another. Um, maybe it's giving them an encouraging book on their calling, you know. It's just sometimes people just need to hear that what they're doing is important, what it's valuable. You know, here's the fruit of it. Let's think about the big picture and what this is going to be and how short of a time you have these kids. And, you know, those kinds of things, right? What about widows? You know, ministry to widows. Um, is there a widow or a single mom in your neighborhood that your family could reach out to and kind of adopt? You know, when we go to uh, Sun City Gardens, mostly ministry to widows, uh, to women. Um, husbands, free up, when you free up your wife to be a homemaker, you're freeing her up to ministry. And I want you guys to hear that, you men, to hear that, because I know a lot of you guys, I'm looking at you right now and I'm seeing it, a lot of you guys work crazy hard to provide for your home. Crazy hard. And, and maybe you're not able to free up your wife like full-time at home, but maybe part-time, or you're shouldering more of the burden, right? And I just want you to know, 
guys, that that ministry is important. You're actually supporting ministry by doing that. That home is a ministry to her, and it's worth it. Homemaking frees up the husband for ministry. Look at verse 23. He says, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. In the ancient city, the gates were where they made big decisions. You see that in the book of Ruth. The elders would gather, the people that had influence, and they would decide things, court cases, all kinds of stuff. And they, there, it was a place of ministry. It was a place of service. It was, the, it was the people of influence. And what's really cool is because of the way she has cultivated her home, her husband is able to minister or serve in the community. And that's all because of her. It's mentioned in the context of her work that he is able to serve in the gates. And that's actually a focal point of, of this proverb. If you, we've got a slide here. Um, this section of Proverbs is actually written in a chiastic structure, which um, has mirroring verses. And if you look at it here, I don't know if you can see that well or not. Um, these are all the verses and kind of a summary of each verse. And then you see the A up there. It says the high value of an excellent wife. If you look at A with the little prime mark, it says the high value of an excellent wife. Verse 10 and verse 30 and 31 mirror each other in subject. If you go to the next one, verses 11 through 12, it talks about her husband's benefits from her ministry and what she does. If you go down to B prime right there, it says her husband and her children's praise. And so each one of those mirrors each other as you go through. You see fearless of the present, that one that says E on it, verse 21. Fearless of the future, verse 25. Do you see how they're mirroring each other? This is a common thing in Scripture. In Old Testament and New Testament, you'll see these chiastic structures, these mirroring structures. What they're designed to do is point at one central point. Do you guys see what it is? It's the verse in the middle there, verse 23. It's about her husband being in the gates. Isn't that interesting? Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land, is the bullseye of this passage. It's important. Homemaking, guys, is a work of ministry. And any ministry, I'll tell you guys, any ministry I'm able to do here is because of the way what Tasha's does at home. And I'll tell you what, I preach here every Sunday by her permission. You know? I mean, if this ever became something that, you know, was not helpful to our home, it was something that was, uh, you know, detrimental to our home, it was something that she's just like, I'm not feeling anymore, and that went on for a period of time, then... David or Josh are going to take over for that period of time until something changes and I'm able to do it. Um, she makes this possible. Fifth, homemaking is a work of glory. I love this. Verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Listen to what he says. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And then, he said, and then the passage goes on. This isn't him, but this goes on with the passage. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Guys, homemaking is a work of glory. Homemaking is a work that has eternal fruits. Eternal fruits in your own family and your own children, right, that carries on generation after generation. And it has eternal fruit through your family's ministry to your community and your church. And what's really cool here, notice the contrast here between the eternal fruit of homemaking and fading physical beauty. Okay, you see it right here. You know, he says that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Guys, our homes and the ministry you do there has eternal fruit, right? Lasts forever in the things that your family does in the gospel by the power of the Spirit. There's eternal fruit. Your looks, not so much. Not so eternal. You guys feeling it? Oh, I saw a client just a couple weeks ago. I hadn't seen her in 10 years. I get out of the truck. First thing she says to me, he's like, wow, you've aged. And I was this far from saying, so have you. You know, like, 
I was like, what's up with that? What kind of greeting is that? Like, yeah, 33 to 43, it puts some miles on. You know? I work outside in the sun. That's probably part of it too. But guys, focus on the eternal. <laughs> put a lot of effort into external, right? Put a lot, guys put a lot of effort into, you know, weightlifting, doing all these things and taking care of themselves and, you know, being ketogenic and doing crazy things. And, and women put a lot of effort into their physical appearance and things like that. Guys, focus on the eternal. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But those works of a woman who fears the Lord, they're to be praised. They're to, they will last. And look at who praises her. Her kids praise her. This doesn't happen every day, does it? In your minivan? Verse 28. Look at verse 28. It says, her, her children rise up and call her blessed. Isn't that awesome? Why do they call her blessed? They do it because they saw their dad do it. You see that? Verse 28. Her husband also praises her, right? They've learned from listening to him that what she does is praiseworthy and she's to be praised. And so they learn that praise from, from the husband. She gets praised in the gates. Look at verse 31. It says, let her works praise her in the gates. How is she being praised at the gates? Remember, this is like an area of influence in the community. How is she being praised there? Who's there? Her husband's there. She's being praised in the community off the lips of her husband. People know how great she is because he says it. Husbands, homemaking is a work of glory. Praise her. Praise her often. Praise her in front of your children. Praise her in the gates. Praise her in the community. Affirm her. Make sure she knows that she is the best. Okay? And she's not the best by necessarily comparing her with other people. You know why she's the best? She married you. And she's with you still. Like, that should cause a level of shock and wonder and thankfulness and praise. Shouldn't it? It's not comparing each one to each other, but what they have to deal with. Right? It's what they have to deal with. Sorry to hit you right at the end, guys. You know, this is the very last section of the book of Proverbs, which is really cool because it means that God wanted to highlight it, you know? He does this whole thing about wisdom. We're not done here, by the way. We're going to keep going to Proverbs. But he does this whole thing on wisdom, and then he goes, let me show you just like this pinnacle example in this world of wisdom. And he puts forward homemaking, guys. In a book about wisdom, this is the last word on wisdom. Homemaking is a work of glory, and we should praise it as God does, right? Josh and I were talking this week about Proverbs 31, and he reminded me of somebody that really kind of has all this, right? A woman that has all this, and it's a single woman, and it's Holly. You know, I just mentioned her about, you know, um, Grace, uh, sorry, um, Girls uh, House of Refuge in Cambodia. Here's a woman, guys, that fits all these, a single woman. She's out on the mission field, and um, God had uh, stirred her up to go out there and um, open a home up for women, and she's out there, mostly young women. She invites them into her home, uh, women that are at risk for sex trafficking or they're out of that industry. She, she calls it Girls' House of Refuge. She's gone out, and she goes to um, the red light district, and she'll invite them. She'll say, you want out of this? You come with me. I'll give you a home. You know, she disciples them, job training, all that kind of stuff. Guys, Holly, as a single woman, um, is a true example of this Proverbs 31 homemaker, isn't she? And she's doing it out of oneness, not with a human husband, but oneness with a greater husband, Christ. Like, that's the power behind that, is her oneness with Christ. And, um, and I was just, I wrote her a little note about that, and I said, we're going to praise you in the gates this Sunday. Like, I want to tell people what's going on there, because charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman like Holly, who fears the Lord, is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. And if you want to give to that ministry, just write to Covenant Grace Church and memo ATP. 
And then lastly, as we kind of close and go to worship, um, you might think, okay, all this stuff about the home seems very idealistic, okay, that all these things would occur, very idealistic. And it is, right? It is idealistic. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? Even in our best homes, we're deeply flawed, and it's inhabited by sinners. And there's things that happened in our homes, even this morning, that ought not to happen, right? Um, even on the way here to church, the best homes, guys, are just pointers to a greater home, right? Your home on its best day, your home in a mature marriage later on when things are really developed is only a pointer to a greater home that we have to look forward to, guys. If you're a Christian, if you've turned from your sin and you're hoping in Jesus, you're headed to a new world and a new home. And it's a home that has these things. It has oneness with Christ and each other. It has um, passion and excitement and energy that we're going to want to build something there as we as we there with him. It has beauty beyond compare, beauty we've never seen before. It has service, has works and ministry and service to one another. We'll be able to serve each other the way we've always wanted to. And it has glory, glory like you've never seen before. It's a home, guys, that we didn't make. You know, this isn't a home we made that we're headed to, and it's not a home we deserve. In fact, it's a home we definitely did not deserve. It's all grace. You guys remember what Jesus said um, right after that final meal with his disciples? He started to speak about home, and he said this in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself where I am, you will be also. Jesus welcomes us into his father's home. And when he said he went to go prepare a place for us, it wasn't like he went and go like, we need to add some rooms up here, right? No, we got more people. It isn't that the place was not prepared for us. It's that we were not prepared for that place. Our sin would keep us out of God's home, and it should. You don't let just whoever you want into your home. You don't just let whoever wants to come in into your home. You let people into your home that aren't going to harm your home, right? You let people into your home that are friends, right? God's the same way. In our sin, we are his enemies, and we would destroy his place if we came that way. And yet Jesus came to deal with our sin. He came to remove uh, our sin, the penalty of our sin, and he came to transform us by the work of the Spirit. On the cross, Jesus Christ prepared a place for us in his eternal home by removing all of our sin. All of our sin, guys. The sin at home. (laughs) The sin's obvious at home, isn't it? Our sin's obvious at home. Not so obvious here. It's obvious at home. The blood of Jesus covers that all, guys. All of it. Every last bit of it. As we come to the table, we shouldn't come with guilt. And knowing that we've been forgiven like that gives us the grace and ability to extend grace to other people. If you're trusting Jesus today, he's saying to you, I have prepared a place for you. And I will come again and I will take you to myself. Father, we thank you for home. And we know that home is tricky. Home is where our sins are obvious. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us grace in that area. We pray you give us grace for each other. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see your grace for us. Chances are, whatever guilt we might be tempted to bring to this table is something that happened at home. And we pray, Lord, that you would cleanse our consciences as we look upon Christ on the cross and we remember him. Our consciences would be clear and we would feel that full welcome. I pray that for every person here, Lord. I pray that every person here would be trusting in Jesus and feeling that full effects of a cleansed conscience and the joy that comes from knowing
that we have that hope. And as we worship you, Lord, we pray that we would worship you with hearts full of joy. I pray, Lord, that the calling in Proverbs 31 would be inspiring, not a burden, but things, Lord, that we would be excited to ask you to do in our lives and in our families. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.